Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the comedy history podcast in which two degenerates commonly binge as much history as we can get our little hands on. And we're looking for the craziest, most unhinged bits that are appealing to us this week. I am Teresa, and that is Angie. And uh, we're up to no good. Always. I mean, is there any? We solemnly swear we're up to no good. (laughs) Scout's honor. I actually, so I said, I said scouts honor earlier and someone said physical therapy and the physical therapist was like scouts honor. I was like, look, I was a certified boy scout up until I was 21. So just there. Okay. (laughs) And I I love when I say that, like I used to keep my boy scouts of America card in my wallet and I lost it like in a move or something. Like I think I finally cleaned out. It's like, you know what? This thing expired years ago. It's really only there's a gotcha. Well, you should kept it anyway. I mean, it made sense at the time to get rid of it. You know, a couple international moves. Mm, Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I was in Japan long enough to forget my own social security number because I never had to write it down there. That's super fair. I I just had to be at Owen and I knew library cards because we lost both of ours. They're somewhere in my house. I just don't know where they are. Dang. I know. Like the lady was like, "Why don't you just toss your house and find them?" And I was like, "Why don't you just take my money and buy give me new ones?" <laughs> like, <laughs> why don't you just mind your business about my house, librarian? The books here are free. I just want and the okay. So the funny thing is, I have my library card number because I called and they were nice enough to give it to me, so I could still access the library online. Um, but that doesn't do Owen any good when he wants to check out a book. Like, I understand the library cards were five hundred dollars. It cost I would, me a dollar fifty. Yeah, I would toss my house for a plane yeah. ticket, but for a dollar fifty, I'm happy. Rocks. Yeah, I am happy to support my library by continually buying library cards. It's yeah, make fine. it five dollars. I'm here I'll for you. Still do it exactly. Like I want to keep you in business. So yeah, yeah. But but the best part was okay. So Owen is the staunch rule follower. Like he he will not go outside of the rules like he is just and when he does he does it for really good reason and it's often like the funniest thing you're ever going to see but (laughs) but when we're we're, you know he's getting his new card she looks at him and she goes oh you have a you have a fine on your account young man and he goes no i don't and she's like yeah it's like two dollars and 23 cents something stupid and he's like i don't i don't have i turned all my books in (laughs) and i was like well clearly you didn't and i make like a big deal out of it right i'm like it's a good thing i'm here with this cash money to pay for your fine i can't believe it you literal felon just giving him the you know and he is like beside himself it's your fault you didn't bring me back in time (laughs) and i was like never owen did you get checkbooks out from the bookmobile when it comes to school and forget to give them back in time he's like so we get home and i walk through the door and i'm like ian your son had a library fine and he immediately knew, like, oh, we got to turn on the sass. And he was just like, oh, and I cannot believe. He- oh, it's it's a wonder you didn't go to library jail. And he is like, <laughs> <laughs> this poor child for 30 minutes of his life was convinced that something was going on his permanent human record for having a two dollar <laughs> library from 2019. So when I was in first grade, and I don't know why this is a core memory, because there are 
students I taught in Japan for two years. And I, the one in particular, I cannot remember his name for love money where I was like, I can't remember his name, but in first grade that I remember I came to school and it was library day and I didn't have my library book and I left it at home. <laughs> and the way it was set up was if you didn't have your library book, you couldn't go to the library. Oh, you had to sit in the room while the rest of your class left you and went to go get library books and books were my favorite thing in the world at the time. So I sat there and had a little autistic meltdown and cried. And oh, I would have been devastated. And yeah. like there was someone's mom who was volunteering in the class that day. And she just sat there for an hour while my classmates were in class. And she rubbed my back as I just wailed. <laughs> and it was like, and at one point I was telling Ani, she goes, yeah, it's library day. And I was like, I'm having <laughs> I'm having repressed trauma come back like I gotta you, go yeah like I'm thinking about the time in first grade I wasn't allowed to go to the library and why is this <laughs> so impactful now like I am nearly 40 years old and and that was the day you went to the bookstore and bought three hundred dollars in new books to make yourself feel better <laughs> yeah yeah honestly that's why I can't really go to our we have a Powell's you've been, I've taken you it's to Powell's so beautiful. Yeah. It is a bookstore the size of a city block and it's an independent bookstore. And I, I, I need to go with only cash money and no debit cards in my pocket or credit cards because stuff will happen. Oh, absolutely. I was like, I was so thankful that I only had so much room in my backpack. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Because there was no way I was going to be able to get on that plane with all the things that I saw that I wanted to buy. You know, and I don't think I took you to the rare book room. <gasps> well, they have I a rare I'm... book room at Powell's, like first editions. On, on a flight because I need to know. I have a second, totally not podcast related, but I have a second edition of The Lord of the Rings. Stop it. Mm-hmm. After... So after the first edition came out, um, his fan base like was gaggling for maps and the um, like the the language plan for Elvin and family trees for all the characters. And Tolkien went back and redid like built them for everybody, and then produced a second set, like a second edition. And I have those. I don't think you understand what is happening to my blood pressure and envy levels. <laughs> You can thank my uncle. Thank you, Uncle Angie. <laughs> when when he passed away, I had free reign of his entire library. And it was massive. So I took the Lord of the Rings's. I'd have just got just load them all up, load them, I'll figure it out later. Like I will make my bed frame from books. Um, I can make furniture from the amount of books that I've had, but um I my mom would only um my my there was only so much space <laughs> mm, so i, I spent like i spent like 3 days just sitting in this pile of books like the whole room was full of books like refrigerator boxes of books i would flash back to my first grade crying over the library like, this is the exact opposite of the time I did get to go to the library. <laughs> this is the time I couldn't read the library home with me. 
Yeah, it was very much, very much like that. Like, oh, oh. I can't. Oh. Well, so you I got, know, I got the good ones. You know, Mike wants to vault our ceiling in the living room and make it floor to ceiling bookshelves. I'm 100% here for it. Like, and I'm like, oh, gosh, there's so many books that we have purged because we didn't have space for them that we could now have. Yeah. I was looking at a house down the street on the option, you know, on the off chance that I win the lottery this weekend. And one of the bedrooms has currently a bed in the mid, like up against the wall. And then framing the bed is walls of bookshelves from floor to ceiling. And I was like, well, that's my new office. Yeah, I don't need the rest of the house. You can keep the rest of the house, but I'm buying the bedroom. But yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> So, there, so there's all that. Do you want to go first? I want to hear your story. Or do you want me to go first? What do you want? I can go first. I can go first. All right. I I don't have you know an absolute buzzkill, so <laughs> I won't fight you. You say that and then you laugh. No, I don't have an absolute buzzkill. I'm just thinking about the times I've really messed with you. Like Too last long, time. Don't read. <laughs> <laughs> Too long. Don't read. Total hoax. Total hoax. Dude. The fact that you're I'm, still reeling from that makes me so happy with my life. I am equally so mad and so pleased, and then in turn so mad that I'm so pleased. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this one isn't a complete troll. Only just a partial. <laughs> I mean, how much do you know about Lord Timothy Dexter? Um, off the name, I'm gonna say nothing. So hit me with it. Like maybe I'll remember, but I don't think I know a thing. Okay, um, I'm coming with you, or I'm coming, doo. my sources, that's what I meant to say, are Priceonomics.com, The Strange Life of Lord Timothy Dexter, Lord in quotation marks, New England Historical Society, Timothy Dexter, the ridiculous millionaire who sold coal to Newcastle, and Newcastle is a coal town, that's why that's important, the aristocrat, <laughs> thanks for that, <laughs> in Federalist Newport, or Newburyport, never accepted him. So, yeah, I, you know, okay. I see, dude. (laughs) Okay. In the late winter months of 1748, several miles outside of Boston, can you picture it? It is cold. It is snowy. Timothy Dexter is born. And from his birth, he fancies himself a legend. I mean, good on him. He says, quote, I was to be one great man, though initially destiny is not on his side. As he comes usually isn't. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the best stories involve somebody who destiny just kind of wants to smite. <laughs> I smite thee and I smite thee and oh, you're okay. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. the exact opposite energy of Oprah. Yep. Like, I don't want to hear about he was a privileged man, born to a wealthy family, with a silver spoon firmly into his cheek. I don't want to hear it. Not here for it. <laughs> nope. He came from a family of farm laborers who, in the times of British colonialism, saw little financial stability. Okay. Nonetheless, by age 16, Dexter secured himself an apprenticeship with a Boston leather dresser and began working towards a career as a craftsman. Okay. Like, you know, it's respectable. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I like this. We're, we've got 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm feeling some some forefather type vibes here. Yep, I mean, mid 1700s, so you're not wrong. Mm-hmm. Though the profession was generally considered a lower class, the money was good, and by seven the 1760s, Dexter's Boston teachers had monopolized the art of crafting quote Moroccan leather, a material that was in high demand by col- colonial fashionistas. I didn't realize there was a thing as colonial fascinistas, but yet here we are. Penelope Barker was. Okay, so he is making the Moroccan leather (laughs) for Penelope Barker. Okay, okay. At age 21, Dexter had completed his apprenticeship and decided to go into business for himself. Okay, so I'm going to stop here. So he's producing leather goods and moose hide breeches. When he became an apprentice, one source said that he... um, was given a freedom suit. So I guess to be an apprentice, an apprentice at this point in time, and I could be completely wrong because I, I didn't read a ton of sources. You became an indentured servant. All right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And so given your freedom suit, you know, basically you had stuff that you could sell to make money, or I don't know what you would do with a freedom suit. I didn't research a ton about what a freedom suit was other than it existed. He sells it so that he can go into business for himself. Okay. Okay. Through Though the situation in Boston was quickly deteriorated in rapid succession, the British imposed taxation without representation. Residents revolted with the Boston Tea Party and the government's closed the city ports. So it's Baz Nude Bears and your fifth grade history book just completely un- unhinged. Right, right, right. Dexter decides to stay local. So he's not? he's sticking to Boston, even though he's got a bunch of cosplayers <laughs> running around, running amok. <laughs> Thank you so much. I am never going to unsee the Boston Tea Party any other way. As a LARP party? <laughs> yep. And um, I was I was literally just going to say he's sticking to Boston, even though Boston isn't sticking to him. Right. <laughs> but your LARP was um, so much better. It was a LARP. A larking LARP. <laughs> so armed with nothing more than a bindle, which is a hobo stick, which is pierced, pitched over his shoulder, Dexter migrated to Char- Charlestown, Boston's leather epicenter. Oh, I didn't know there was one. Okay. It's honestly, I thought, you know, Charles, like I, I tried to say Charleston. I was like, North Carolina, which is not Boston. But that is not the case. It was here that he made his first twist of fortune and Dexter met Elizabeth Frothingham. Stop it. That's not a real person. No, it's a real name. Although it sounds like a porn star name. I was actually thinking, I mean, porn star Bridgerton, whatever. I mean, (laughs) maybe just frothing is what's getting me. uh, That was, I was picturing the feather in the hair, you know, the, yep. Yeah, okay, okay, all right. So Frothingham is a wealthy, newly minted widow and one of his former leather associates. Of or and? I didn't hear that. Of or and what? Was a former leather associate of his? Like, that's what she was? So she was the widow of one of his leather associates. Oh, okay, okay, I got but you. But that you. dude passed away, and now there's this young, beautiful, wealthy woman. Woman, women. Perfect. Yeah, she is not plural. Um, 
She was as (laughs) industrious, frugal, who had made no considerable profit as a huckster selling door-to-door goods. He's enamored less by her nature than her worth in hard cash, and Dexter takes her hand in marriage. Ah, gold digger. She take my money when I'm in need. Yeah, he's a trifling dude indeed. Dude is a gold digger. Exactly. So Boston's well-to-do Charleston neighborhood, Dexter is an instant misfit. Misfit. Did I mention I had at least one cider in this mug? (laughs) His new neighbors are of the likes of whom included John Hancock. At that point, he's the governor of the Commonwealth. Thomas Russell. I didn't know the name before this, but he is the richest man in the country at the time. They're America's nobility. Okay. So the revolutionary Rockefellers. Okay. They were well-practiced in etiquette and business affairs. And Dexter is considered an uneducated, lowly man who's just married into money. He's one of those new money kind of bros. Okay. He's not, yeah, he's not seen as equal. Okay. This guy is kind of chaps his hide. And he decides that he's going to prove his decency. Oh, as you do. And honestly, I don't know why he feels the need to prove his decency. Can't he just be the crazy head? Oh, we all like the crazy head. I mean, either we love the crazy head or we love to talk about the crazy head. Crazy either head. Either way. Always in, in vogue. Always. I, uh, yeah, no, live your life. So after observing his gentleman peers, Dexter decided that he'd go first about by securing his seat in public office. As best as a man who dropped out of schooling at the age of eight could do, Dexter submitted dozens of petitions to the neighboring Maiden, Massachusetts governing body until they created a post for him. The squeaky wheel gets the post. Do you know what that post was? No. It's a post that I would want today because it just sounds insane. Informer of deer. (laughs) Uh, Is it is it your job to tell someone else when the deer are there? Very close. Under that title, <laughs> Dexter was required to keep track of the town's fawn populations. Hold up. Y'all know that there was a supervisor board meeting where they were like, we keep getting messages from this guy. We need to just create a job for him. And somebody's like, you know, I, I, I keep deer being born in my yard every three weeks. Somebody should look into that. You know, you're not too wrong, but it gets even funnier <laughs> when you realize that the annals of Malden's government records note that the last year had disappeared from Malden Woods 19 years before. <laughs> <laughs> so give the man something to do, let him have a title, and then be on our way. Yeah, pretty much. I love it. I mean, I could do with a couple of empty job postings like that, where you just yeah. get a salary, you get a title, but they expect bupkis yeah i love it and what do you do if you find a deer who do you like um we we have one john billy brian (laughs) hamilton (laughs) and then it's like you you found you found a deer in malden what are we gonna do with this now okay new information (laughs) yeah so satisfy this new duty 
Dexter sets out to multiply his wealth, and in true Dexterian form, he found an odd way to do so. So it's at the onset of the Revolutionary War, 1775, the Continental Congress, which, you know, I don't know if you know this, was created by the 13 colonies to counter the British rule. I did. They issued America's first form of paper currency, the Continental Dollar, which ranged in value from a sixth of a dollar to 80 bucks. Okay. So it's, you know, and during the revolution, the currency was severely undermined. Though Congress issued some 250 million worth of bills, the vendors, not trusting the currency value, refused to accept it despite numerous efforts from Congress to punish non-participating shop owners. Because of the paper tax. <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't the paper tax. It's that they wanted to to deal only with pounds, the British right. pound, you know? Right. And so then it's like, I, I mean, would you accept a Confederate dollar? We have some Confederate dollars. But would you accept it in trade? Like if your boss said, hey, Angie, I'm running a bit short on USD. Um, here's some Confederate dollars for you oh, to pay no. your wages. I mean, like, am I going to turn around and be able to sell them for more? because I just, I, what, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, see? Okay, so there, there's issues going around. Um, so eventually, since nobody is using those dollars, Congress decides that they're just going to print more of them. So the market rapidly depreciates the value. So they weren't accepting them before, but now we're just going to put more of them out there and they're going to be accepted less. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so great, American great government idea. at his finest. Yep. Starting off strong and continuing to hold on. So the phrase not worth a continental becomes a common phrase used to denote the utter lack of a good's value. Okay. And then following the war, soldiers who'd been paid in continentals were destitute. And Richard's, sorry, Dexter's rich neighbors, Hancock and Russell, took it upon themselves to buy back some of these bills to boost the public confidence and to do a good deed. I like this. I mean, that's super sweet of them. And then Dexter, ever observing and yearning for respect, emulated these men to an extreme. And then realizing that Americans were willing to part with the now discontinued Continentals for anything they could get, Dexter takes up his life savings and his wife's life savings because, you know, what are wives for other than harvesting their riches when they were wealthy widows when you married them? And he buys boatloads of bills for fractions of pennies on the dollar. Without interest, right? So he literally just screwed the pooch on that one. Okay, so this is Ian saying, hey, Angie, you may not like this, but I took our savings account and I emptied it and I bought all the Confederate dollars I can get my hands on. You're shaking your head. You've got some feels about this already. There is a 22,000 gallon hole in my backyard right now. And I have a feeling it would be <laughs> at least a 280 pounds fuller. I don't know if he's 280. He's probably like, what, 190? Maybe. Okay. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. It'd be 190 pounds fuller. Well, and dirt. Gotta cover it, you know. I agree with your moves. <laughs> and then plant some, plant some endangered plants on top of it. The Unhinged History Podcast does not condone of murdering and killing and hiding of bodies. This is a public safety announcement. You do you. Uh, you do you. That's that's going to be the name <laughs> of the podcast. You do you. Um, so he essentially, Dexter is 
bargaining his entire livelihood on the chance that this currency might maybe possibly get reinstated. And at the time, there's incredible little chance of this paying off. Um, By some miraculous stroke of luck, this gamble proves fruitful when the United States Constitution is ratified in the 1790s, 200 (laughs) years before that. Yeah, before (laughs) MC Hammer, the Constitution's ratified. And it stipulated that Continentals could be traded in for Treasury bonds at 1% of face value largely at the behest of Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Since he had purchased massive amounts of this currency at a fraction of this cost, Dexter instantly became astronomically wealthy. Okay. So you're getting a, you're getting a treasury bond for the, for how much? 1% of face value. Of the treasury bond. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Got it. And he's got wheelbarrows of these in his shed. Okay, okay, got it. What's more, at the questionable advice of a neighbor who had disliked him, Dexter had purchased large quantities of European courtesy currencies like British pounds and francs, which now he's able to flip for a handsome profit. (laughs) So have you ever hated somebody and given them advice, think it's going to fail and then it works out well for them and now you're stuck watching them richer than you? The brand new RV and boat. I can say I don't have that problem. (laughs) I I guess I just don't hate anybody that much, but I can imagine that would would really just piss you off. Cap your hide. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Dexter thinks that this new wealth is going to bring credibility to his peers. It doesn't. (laughs) Dexter repeatedly, he tries to break break into these elite cycles of the upper crust. And each time he's deterred by his crude rhetoric, his distasteful nature, and his inability to keep his mouth shut in opportune moments. Same. Same. <laughs> That's Those are the exact reasons between that and my poor mouth that I am not in those cycles or those circles. <laughs> the pause was so I could take a long drag out of my uh, my cider. Ultimately, Dexter concluded that his rejection is a result of the Bostonian stodgy nature and not his own eccentricity. Eccentricity, correct. (laughs) With a flippant farewell, he gathered his wife and children and moved north to the coastal mercantile town of Newburyport, Massachusetts. And it's here he flourishes. And I get that Newburyport feels like a very made-up word. No, Newberry is a very common word. Newberry is, but Newberry Port is where I was like, this sounds like we're adding extra syllables. It sounds like we're making this up for a really cute, sweet rom-com. You see what I mean? So again, yeah. it sounds like a made-up thing. And then in Newberry Port in the 1700s, imagine it's very idyllic. You've got okay. the rich, you've got the humble, they're living side by side. They ver- They're very mingled. Okay. Everyone is very, you know, community focused. We're here. We're focused on our neighbors. The population is not so hard as to hide any individual, however odd or humble. Okay. And as recounted by a 19th century historian, Dexter is then hires the, quote, most intelligent and tasteful artist of European architecture to carve and mount a series of more than 40 giant wooden statues on his property. 
each depicting a great character in American lore. I love this. Now, American lore is like days old at this point. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're not going for somebody 200 years past. If I put a statue of George Washington in my front yard, that's very different than me putting a statue of, say, Mitt Romney. Or Beyonce. Beyonce's better. You're welcome. I now feel really bad that I went with Mitt Romney when Beyonce was on the picture. (laughs) I now want a statue of both of them in my front yard. (laughs) Side by side, holding hands. (laughs) With like an orb in between the two of them. Yeah, just to make you go, what is happening here? (laughs) I need an artist friend to draw that for me like right now. Beyonce needs to be wearing her Girls Rule the World costume. With the and hair Mitt Romney in, in his fine, finest suit. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So not to be outshine, Dexter then erects his final statue. Any guesses of who he is? The final statue? Himself? Exactly. And beneath <laughs> it, he boastfully painted an inscription. I am the first in the East, the first in the West, and the greatest philosopher in the Western world. Oh. He's never read a book of philosophy in his life. That's probably what makes him the best. These statues at the time cost $2,000 a piece. And he's made 40 of them. Uh-huh. Any any guesses of what $2,000 is? $2.2 million? Honestly, I was expecting it to be higher. It's... Uh, Basically, 38310 and 76 cents each. Okay. Again, I was well expecting done. so much higher. Uh, yeah, but I mean, f- 38000 is still a lot, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> the 40 statues cost Dexter twice as much as what he paid for the entire estate. <laughs> His wife has <laughs> got to be thrilled. <laughs> I mean, she's probably... At this point, like, at least he's not doing what he did before. So maybe she's just letting him live his life. I mean, at least it's not cocaine, but maybe cocaine was more accepted. Yeah, back then cocaine was more accepted. So I'm just saying, like, at least he's not using all of his money to buy everybody else's worthless money. But the worthless money is what made him rich. In the end, yeah, but he didn't know that in the beginning now, did he? Right. At at that point, he was just (laughs) buying sandpaper. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But with them, the outcast achieved his ultimate aim to garner public attention. It made the bumpkin stare, writes Samuel L. Knapp, and it gave the owner the greatest pleasure. As it would. Dexter began to garner the wrong kind of attention. His estate became so much of an aesthetic embarrassment, or as one of my coworkers called my attempt at creating a graphic visual pollution. (laughs) I'm so sorry. That is (laughs) your coworker is a wordsmith. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, it was visual pollution. I was creating a proof of concept to give to the graphic artist, said creative director, said person who called my stuff visual pollution. (laughs) That is beautiful. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. And I just kind of went, yeah, that's why we pay you the big bucks. So make pretty. Mine is just to make idea. Mine is measurements. Yeah. Can you work Mm -hmm. this out? (laughs) Yeah. This is a sketch on the back of a napkin. (laughs) 
this is the exact like conversation I imagine happening between the Pope and Michelangelo. Like, this is what I want you to do. And Michelangelo being like, this is ridiculous. This is visual <laughs> pollution. I am going to go sleep behind your chair. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> I said good day. <laughs> okay, so either way, his his estate is such an embarrassment that his wife abandoned ship and lived somewhere else in the neighborhood. <laughs> Same neighborhood? That's hilarious. Same neighborhood. She's like, forget it. I'm moving next door. Deuces. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and in her absence, Dexter's son, quote, a morose lad who, like his father, took no joy in learning, moved in. With mom or with dad? With dad. <laughs> okay. Or actually, now that you say that, maybe maybe with mom. Not sure. In short order, the home turned into a bagnio, which is a brothel of sorts, Long nights of drunken buffoonery ensued in which women came and went. And the fine interiors, including curtains, which were once owned by the Queen of France, were soon covered in unseemly sayings and offensive to the sight and smell. That is visual pollution. Mm-hmm. And odiferous pollution as well, it sounds like. Could you imagine these... These curtains were once owned by the the Queen of France, and good God, don't put a black light on those. I'm offended for all of France right now. Past, I'm, present, and future. I know. Yep. You should. I am. So when Dexter po- purchased several large ships and announced his intentions to launch a business in the international trade, his fed-up neighbors reportedly seized the opportunity to provide him with an horrible investment ventures in the hopes that he's going to bankrupt himself and then be forced to move oh okay so this is would have been the neighbor that suggested perhaps he moved to china you know i would have been the one who suggests we form an hoa (laughs) there's that too (laughs) and i hate hoas but this might be a good person to to start one for this might be the reason they did you might be onto something So one of these neighbors tells Dexter that he should sell warming pans. Warming pans? Like the yeah. you put in your blankets? Exactly those. Okay. Um, but he should sell them in the West Indies. A place that's known for its year-round <laughs> hot temperatures. So he was trying to get him out of here. Yeah, exactly. So Dexter... <laughs> I would have pur- been that neighbor. Dude, he purchases no less than 42,000 of them. Oh, good Lord disperses them in nine shipping vessels and then sets them off to sell them perfect his actions all the while eliciting eliciting thunderous laughter from the experienced traders dexter gets the last chuckle when he arrives and he finds the no need for warming devices he rebranded them as ladles and sold them to the sugar and molasses plantation owners The demand got so great that each owner clamored to buy at least three or four, and Dexter marked up the pans by 79%. I'm this guy. I know. So he returns even richer. At this point, if I was the neighbor, I'd just move. (laughs) Come out. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep, I might put my head in the oven. I might do a bunch of things. I might I might have some big feels. Live, laugh, toast, or bath. 
So another time there's a malicious trader who convinces him that there's a great demand for anthracite coal in Newcastle. Unbeknownst to Dexter, a large coal mine is already existing there. So it <laughs> renders any foreign shipment useless. So Dexter arrives and the mine was miraculously on strike and the coal on purchase was at a considerable market. So once again, Dexter returns victorious with a barrel and a half of silver. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The wife is simultaneously like, she probably hates this guy, but at the same time, it's like, well, all right then. (laughs) I know. At least he pays for me to live just down the street. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my word. At this time, through his exploits, Dexter actually begins to acquire considerable knowledge of trading techniques. And at least one 19th century biographer argues that at this point forward, his actions weren't acts of stupidity or ignorance. But, you know, honestly, they're quite sane sales ploys by Dexter to dupe his doubters. His fortune (laughs) is bloated and he begins to realize that he could simply inquire which goods were scarce in the market, purchase as much as he possibly could, and then double its price and sell it. There you go. And, you know, in truth, none of his craziness as far as trading or anything happens until he has money. And then he just goes full tilt. So it seems that he has always been quite smart and also quite crazy (laughs) in equal parts. I feel like it takes one for the other, you know? I mean, look at Elon Musk. Just saying. I mean... Now that I say that, I can't unsay it. And I feel like there's quite the comparison. Mm, I think you might be right. You guys, can I just tell our friends playing at home that the the glass, the mug, the, the stein, if you will, that Teresa is drinking her cider out of is bigger than her face. <laughs> it requires two hands for me to hold it. I, I Admittedly, I have small hands, but I have a big face. The cup is, she's so stinking cute. The cup is ginormous. And when she holds it up to her face, <laughs> you lose her. And I just want everybody at home to have the same visual that I am having. <laughs> that is all. Yeah. By the end of this, it might be two ciders deep on an empty tummy. But who's counting? Live your life. I've, I've become a lightweight post-surgery when I wasn't allowed to drink multiple weeks prior to surgery and multiple weeks after surgery. I feel that. I think it's a feature and not a bug because I spend less money on alcohol. See, there you go. Okay. So with precision, he enlisted this strategy, though his goods of choice were often incredibly odd. Once Dexter traveled to Boston and purchased an astronomical quality, quantity, not quality, of (laughs) whale bones. He purchases so many that he completely monopolizes the article's market and is able to charge his own price. Dude purchases 340 tons of whale bones. Holy crap. That's not a little bit. He marks them up. What do you use for whale bones besides whale bone corsets? So, good transition. Corsets, collar stays, bucky whips, toys, typewriters. Oh, okay. Whale bones and baleen apparently are so prominently in demand that today we remember the material as the plastic of the 1800s. Oh, so this is the reason why we drove those whales basically into endangerment or extinction. Yeah. Okay. And he's not above using dirty tricks to sell his wares. That checks. 
at some point he purchases wholesale Bibles at 12% under half price or 41 cents each. And then selling 21,000 units in the West Indies through manipulation, he says, I sent a text that all of them must have at least one Bible, he spells horribly, for every family, or (laughs) if not, they would gow to hell. He wrote with little regard for spelling. And so I tried to say it as he wrote it, though his (laughs) prospective buyer's that if they wish to repent or go to heaven, his captains were ready and waiting with full supply. In a matter of weeks, Dexter had cleared $47,000 worth of holy books. Oh, so, okay. So if $2,000 of sculpture was $38,000 today's money, $47,000 in today's money has got to be what? A lot more. I didn't do the math on that one. Really? I didn't. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, my brain is mush at this point, so you're welcome. I'm able to read as well as I'm. I am. Not. I think you're doing. I you're doing a great job. God bless you. <laughs> that makes one of us. And I'm the one who has to edit this episode tomorrow. I'm honestly looking forward to the texts I get from you. <laughs> <laughs> By the end of the 18th century, Dexter has established himself as a defining eccentric of not only Newport Bear or Newberry Port, Massachusetts, but all the Eastern states. Okay. Tales of the man's wealth and antics have circulated far beyond his coastal town. Though Dexter believed there is no such thing as bad attention. He garnered it in droves. <laughs> I love this. I mean, this is honestly the person I'm growing up to be, whether I want to or not. Live your life. YOLO. he learned more than ever to be accepted as a noble wealthy gentleman or he yearned more than ever that makes more sense to be accepted as a noble wealthy gentleman but his actions built a stone wall between him and those he emulated to gentrymen dexter reeked of poor taste and lack of education and their suspicions were confirmed through the man's antics While in pursuit of respect for the upper class, Dexter conversely surrounded himself with the most eccentric, offbeat characters he could find. And honestly, they're likely the only people who would befriend him. Okay, I like it. I mean, crazy attack attracts crazy. Find your tribe, live your life. Yeah. yeah. My crazy plays well with your crazy. It's why we have a podcast. Exactly. Find your tribe, you know? Mm-hmm. Was your, your vibe your attracts of- your vibe. Or your vibe attracts seven sparrows. Is that what the seven sparrows? Is that how it goes? What? Everybody should have seven sparrows because the sparrows fly together, like they they feed off of each other's direction. That's bizarre. I've never heard that before. I'll have to find it for you. Like stir, it's sterling sterlings. When they fly, like they fly in the pattern of each other, and if one succeeds, they all succeed. Okay. Right? So they're complementary to each other. So if one gets attacked by a cat, they all die. They're flying. So. <laughs> Birds fly when cats attack. I don't know if you've seen that. My cat has shown me quite often that it can get a hot lunch. I was implying that they're already in the air and cats don't fly. <laughs> I hate to tell you this. My cat can jump and has caught many a hot lunch. You're right. 
Um, but like when they are flying for migration, cats are not catching them in the air. Fair, because that, they are too high in the air. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing me with you because I clearly was not getting to those heights. <laughs> I cannot wait for you to re-listen to this tomorrow. Jeezy, crazy. <laughs> I'm going to have a nighttime nightmare of this. I'm going to need to drink with just dealing Usually with myself. Usually when nightmares occur. Right. <laughs> So eventually Dexter strikes up a similar friendship with Madam Hopper, a rich or Hooper, a rich local widow turned fortune teller who, among other things, trades Dexter astrology advice in exchange for, I bet you can't guess what she exchanges her astrology advice for. So she's giving him astrology advice for him giving her gardening advice. Tea. Oh, Billy, you'd think she'd have tea being an astrologer. I mean, apparently she needed more, and this is, again, post-Boston Tea Party. Mm-hmm, okay. But still, I was just like, this feels like a Mad Lib. Yeah, it does. Soon, he declares himself Lord and exists, insists that all of his guardsmen, servants, and crew members refer to him as such. At this uh, point, okay. he used, used to his tactics, they asked no questions, and he became Lord Timothy Dexter. I mean, your highness works just fine for me. I mean, I've told my bosses, I don't care what my title is, given my salary level. Call me whatever you want, but you're going to pay me blank. Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm, I'm here for it. You, you take your title and you, you do what you want for it. Yeah. Dexter was no fool, despite all of the forced adulation. He could still sense that his peers did not respect him, and this greatly bothers him. So, in a moment of yeah, a god, I think you comp- would have thought eventually, just maybe calm down, like just maybe. Bro <laughs> has no chill. <laughs> I mean, bro can still sell coal to a coal city. I really wish he could have met Cassius. They were off by about fifty years. They were, yeah. It's a shame. <laughs> I have a feeling they'd have been bitter enemies because... I have a feeling Cassius would have won him in a duel. <laughs> Cassius doesn't suffer fools, and that's all Lord Timothy Dexter is. Exactly. <laughs> so Dexter, he decides that um, he's going to fake his own death, and he just he wants to see how the public feels about him. Ah! Okay. Okay. I mean... That is obviously the next choice. All right, let's do it. I mean, when you want your neighbors to feel better about you, what else are die. you going to do? Just die, I guess. So you start you start building a tomb. As you do. A grandiose, well-ventilated room that occupied the entire basement of the fine summer home. And then the prankster hired the best cabinet maker in Massachusetts to craft a common, to craft a coffin even, of the finest mahogany wood available. So fine upon its completion, Dexter took to sleeping in it for several weeks with great comfort and satisfaction. And I recognize this is the second person I presented who has slept in a coffin. Sarah Bernhard being the first. And and you tell me I'm the weirdo. Look, I don't pretend that I'm not the weirdo, but I tend to come up with more scholarly sources. <laughs> It's just, it's, it's not so much the scholarly sources as it is you come up with more scholarly stories. <laughs> I take that. I will take that from you. 
I received that. You're welcome. So with the logistics of his test in place, Dexter enlists a few of his trustworthy men to organize a mock funeral and they disseminate small cards with the news of his death to community. His wife and two children were let in on the hoax, demanded that he act or that they act the part. That is that they cry and appear utterly distraught over his parting. Oh, (laughs) so at least he had the fortitude to be like, it's a joke. It's pretend. But I'm going to need to see some real tears. Need you to cry. Can you cry (laughs) on demand? You're going to need to. Remember that time I gave away your entire fortune and you cried? Think back on that. Think back on that. Because I made you rich after. So take those hundos and wipe those tears. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the logistics of his test in place, I already said that, on the day of the ceremony, some 3,000 people showed up. Wow, okay. I mean, I, I don't even think I'm going to pull a fraction of that to my, my funeral. When I'm honest. Like, I should start focusing on filling them pews. You really should start being more eccentric, I think. You know, I don't think you're wrong. I think I just need to to go buy a school and like a public school, put my name on the side of the building and then start making balloon animals outside outside the front. <laughs> yes. I need to learn how to make balloon animals. That's my next step. In this grand <laughs> affair where only the fanciest wines and most exotic liquors were poured, From below a board of wooden planks, Dexter observed the scene with glee. Everything seemed to be going smoothly. His son was sufficiently drunk to weep without much effort. His daughter's head was buried in her hands. And then, in a moment of panic, Dexter sees his tearless, smiling wife. (gasps) She's already done this before. Right. Like, this this isn't her first widowing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant thinking back to that. I love your brain. He approaches her secretly in the kitchen and then callously caned her for her lack of effort, causing great commotion. Idiot. The phrase callously caned. Brilliant alliteration leaves nothing to the imagination. And I understand exactly what commotion is being caused. In fact, um, so one would have to ask how long it took before the rest of the uh, funeral goers, uh, awake attenders, if you will, uh, realized it was him. He was there. I mean, it really depends on exactly what she was screaming because she was screaming. No doubt. I've never been caned, but I guarantee I'd holler. I mean, yeah, I'd hit him with a pan, but. Okay. Maybe the pan was on the other side of the kitchen. Maybe she couldn't grab that good old cast iron to wallop him one. Okay, okay. You know, honestly, I'm not going to victim blame. Yeah, okay. As the guests entered the room where they were greeted by the supposedly dead Dexter, who's now housed in an ear-to-ear grin, the red-handed idiot then proceeded to go around carousing with his mourners as if the whole stunt never happened. Okay. I mean, honestly, you know, and this is, I, if I know I'm going out, like if I know I've got terminal cancer, I'd rather have the wake when I'm there. Absolutely. Healthy enough to enjoy it. Absolutely. 
let's imbibe all of the illegal substances that we can circle around some kumbaya tell me all the stories you think of me by the ones you're going to tell my wake. you know like yeah like awake but a little bit more lively because i want to be there yeah i'm here for it Lord Timothy Dexter knew that to achieve his ultimate goal, immortality, that he'd have to follow in the footsteps of every great man before him and publish a memoir. That is, honestly, not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Where did you think I was going? Not there. I I didn't quite have a a direction, but that wasn't it. (laughs) So remember that he ends up like dropping out of school at age eight because he thinks he's got the world that he knows. Right. And he's not really good at penmanship. So he sets out to compose a work that would outwit Shakespeare. Oh. Mm-hmm. His working title, which of course made absolutely no sense, is A Pickle for the Knowing Ones or Plain Truce in Homespun Dress. Okay. It's atrociously misspelled. It's entirely devoid of punctuation. There's no periods. There's no commas. <laughs> There's no dashes, no semicolons. It's so it is the eternal run on sentence. Uh huh. It's incomprehensible. Okay. I like it. Okay, maybe. Okay, so the the grammatical errors are likely a result of extra Dexter's lack of education. And so it could be, they speculate, that he exaggerates on this to mock those who exclude him. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know if I buy that, but that's that's what they're that's what they're going with. <laughs> so I they're don't. saying that he had a detra- distrust of anyone who had a college education, and he liked to rub their nose in it. And that's then why did he want to emulate them? And that's I what guess... I don't get, right? Like you can't be both. Yeah, I mean, unless it's like his defense mechanism, right? Like I'm going to mock you to feel better about myself. But that just made you a jerk. He did insist that his staff call him Lord. Okay, so he this did does be check. his own wife. So the times I've smacked Mike not viciously with a cane, though. So maybe <laughs> I need to maybe I need to clean up my own house before I start. <laughs> so maybe, maybe. So the problem is that. Dexter realizes most noblemen in England, they don't sell their books, but they give them out to increase the readership. So he decides to follow suit. He's standing on the roadside, handing out copies to everyone who walks by. Okay. And in in time, his masterpiece was appreciated, if not by merit, but by nature of its complete oddity. The demand ends up getting so high that a second edition is printed. Good Lord. And at this time, at the behest of his editor, Dexter includes a full page of punctuation marks at the end with the simple instruction for the reader to pepper and salt them in as you please. (laughs) I love that. Which is brilliant. (laughs) That is right up there with all the great thank you notes at the beginning of books. Just put these where you want. You know, honestly, I gave zero fucks, but you may do as you wish. (laughs) I've provided the punctuation for you for yeah. the way you like. <laughs> Copy, paste, you do you, boo. 
Dexter had set out as an exhibit to mankind, an example of universal genius, not to be easily paralleled in the history of human, human intellect. And in one way or another, he achieved just that. I love him. Jerk and he is. In October 26th, 1806, just a few years after publishing his book, Lord Timis- Timothy Dexter quietly passes away. But this time it's for real. Um, <laughs> you already said he's like 200 years old, so... For my next trick. <laughs> He found the Philosopher's Stone. Right? He says, it's hard work to be a lord, he once wrote, and his life is no exception. He's imbibed copious amounts of liquor and wine, procured various illnesses from his extensive travels, and had, on more than one occasion, gambled his life in foolhardy adventures. In his last days in life, Dexter sought to atone for his errors and attempted to undo his sins, through generosity of his will. His estate okay. gets divvied up between his wife, his children, and his friends, and this leaves no one dissatisfied. Most of the wooden statues, again, sold for or brought he bought for two thousand dollars a piece, got knocked loose by a strong gale of wind in 1815 and are sold at auction. Oh. Any guesses on how much they went for? Not a clue, but I'm wondering if you can still see him today. I don't know about that, but they went for 50 cents and $5. And in various one, Yeah. In various rates in between. Okay. Yep. Poor guy, Mr. Dexter. I love your story, Mr. Dexter. And then in a final act of society to omit Dexter from its affairs, Newburyport's Board of Health rejected his request to be buried in the tomb he'd concocted years earlier on the grounds it wasn't sanitary. Instead, the Lord was laid to rest in a quaint cemetery in the hills where wheatgrass quietly engulfed his headstone. Oh. Okay. I guess he found peace. That is the story of Lord Timothy Dexter. I love him. He is so unhinged. (laughs) Yeah, he is what this podcast was made for. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do with these punctuation marks as you wish. (laughs) I'm also going to go sell all my wife's money. Okay, bye. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Do we even have time to tell another story today? I mean, this has gone on for quite a bit. I didn't realize this went on that long. Um, How about we wrap up and then we come back and give them a story for next week? That sounds great. Okay. I'm going to have fun editing this one. (laughs) I'm going to have fun getting your texts on this one. (laughs) So if you have enjoyed this episode of Unhinged History and gee golly Whitakers, why wouldn't you? Then rate, review, subscribe, because goodness grief, the least you can do for a free podcast is tell us that you like us. And if you don't keep that to yourself, I haven't had enough cider for this. (laughs) Same. I haven't had any cider. So if you could just be nice today, then we'd appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. And then on that (laughs) note, goodbye. Goodbye.